Recording in progress. <laughs> All right. Um, welcome to another edition of the AmeriCorps Alum Network podcast. I'm Nikki Fiacco, and I'm here with Brittany McGarry, who is a VISTA alum from 29 or 2009-2010. And we're going to dive into her story and her journey and what she's doing now and um, and uh, yeah, how AmeriCorps apparently got her into something that was very big in her life. And she'll go over that in a little bit. Um, but for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, Nikki Fiaco, and I'm the brainchild of this podcast and decided to bring us alumni together. There's more than a million strong that have served throughout our country. I know, I know. And I think I've got to double check this, but I believe that like an AmeriCorps alum went to the moon. So I just need to figure who figure out who that is and get them on here because I feel like I'll get more views. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and I also have to fact check that, but um. So anyways, um, yeah, there's more than a million of us that have served throughout the country um, and also in the territories, Guam, Puerto Rico, um, Alaska, Hawaii. Um, so I just think it's a great opportunity for us to all come together as alumni and talk about our experiences, see where we are across the country, what types of resources we can share with each other and skills and job opportunities and professional development. Uh, quick backstory about me. I am an AmeriCorps alum, obviously. Um, and I was also, I was 2010, no, 2011, 2012. And I was state national serving in a regional park in Anne Arundel County, Maryland, focusing on environmental education. Um, and then that took me to be hired by my site. Um, I worked for the governor of Maryland, the Hogan administration, um, in a couple different roles. And then I was eventually the executive director of his state service commission, which monitors uh, like grantees across the state who are uh, who have state and national AmeriCorps members. Um, and then I did a little bit of time down in South Carolina with their state service commission as well. But I've come full circle to talk to you alums. And really, this podcast is not about Nikki Fiaco. It is about AmeriCorps alums and your experiences. So I'm going to pass it over to Brittany to introduce yourself and reflect on, um, you know, bring us all up to speed. How did you find AmeriCorps? How did, how did it find you? And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Nikki. I'm very excited. Um, the first podcast I listened to really cool. This is just a cool movement and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm happy to be a part of it. So thank you for, um, spearing, spearing this, um, I don't know what is adventure spearing. Project, the adventure yeah. have, um, Cause it is, it's an adventure. So, um, my name is Brittany McGarry. I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, and now I live in Denver, Colorado. Um, my AmeriCorps program was at, uh, the university of Southern Maine in uh, Portland, Maine, like right in the city there. And I was, like Nikki said, I was a VISTA. And my job itself was, I was a student government advisor, but I also was tasked with creating a culture of service on campus. And how people defined that at um, the University of Southern Maine is, is primary, I don't want to say it's not that it wasn't a traditional college, but very much people that came from all walks of life. And so people that, you know, are married and have kids and already have careers, but they are like coming back to school and, and elevating themselves in that way. But there was also like your traditional college age students as well. So it was a, it was a good mix um, of, of people and how they defined 
service. And so my first task was like, well, what, what does community engagement mean to you kind of learning from the student body? Um, you know, in addition to trying to, so like the, the big thing that happened there in the first year, in the, the year that I was there was really creating their day of service. Um, and so, you know, I partnered with nonprofits in the community and, you know, helped build that capacity of, you know, cause there's, there's a lot of opinions nowadays about like a day of service and how impactful it actually is. And I do think it's, it's an entry point for students. Um, mm. cause you, you know, that is their, that could be their first time ever engaging in a nonprofit, whether, you know, maybe they don't have, maybe they didn't have that experience growing up. Maybe they, their families were too busy to like, you know, find time for them to volunteer. And so sometimes it was their very first experience. And some people like changed their entire career path. Some people were like, this is just going to be something I do on a weekly basis. Some people, it truly was like a one and done. And they were like, this was fun. I am looking forward to doing it again next year. Um, and then after I truly, to this day, believe, cause I, my undergrad, I have a bachelor's in communication, whatever that means nowadays. <laughs> um, and it was a focus in journalism. And when I graduated, I really wanted to go into like student affairs administration and which is essentially like what I was doing in AmeriCorps, like student government, community service initiatives. But when I was, when I graduated, like I mean, I had a good time in college, so my GPA wasn't great. Um, it was, I did not have a 3.0 GPA when I graduated. It was like Love a- Love honesty. <laughs> no, I'm like, whatever, I didn't care. Like no one, but to get into graduate school, there were requirements. I was also a terrible standardized test taker. So the GRE, mm. I swear, I think I took it like four times and I think I got like either the same score or the worst score. I don't know. Like it just wasn't my strong suit. And so I had like yeah. a 2.8 GPA, horrible standardized test score. And I remember, um, my graduate program, I eventually did get in, but, um, it, I had my master's from Appalachian state university in North Carolina. And I remember interviewing cause you know, like they have their qualifications, but it also says like, we still encourage you to apply if you do not meet these. And well, that was every university that applied for. I was like, well, I don't have a 3.0, but I don't care. I'm still applying. So yeah. I, will, I will never forget my interview with what, the man who turned out to be my advisor. I said, look, I have the experience to do this work. I have the passion to do this work. And if you don't accept me this year, you're going to see me until you do. <laughs> and he kind of like, I think I shocked him a little bit, but he also giggled and he was like, all right, that's good to know. And I ended up getting an assistantship in the community service office. And I mm -hmm. truly also believe that was because of my AmeriCorps experience. And so it just kind of was this domino effect. People are always like, oh, the timing and everything happens for a reason. And I, you know, I, I think I, I didn't get into grad school, which is how I kind of ended up in AmeriCorps. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do the Peace Corps because I was like, eh, like, I don't want to do something for two years. That feels too long. Like, I really mm. want to, like, I only want to take like a certain time off. And I did end up taking two years because then I only did one year of AmeriCorps and then took another year off to just focus on applications. But mm -hmm. initially I was like, I don't, I don't want to take two years off in between undergrad and grad because I was like, 
my my studious practice is going to go away, you know, but I also yeah. knew I needed some space as well. And AmeriCorps gave that to me and then yeah. gave me the opportunity to do what I actually wanted to do as well. I was just talking to a colleague today about, because uh, recruitment has been down across the, across the board for AmeriCorps. And, you know, I, I need to do some research to figure out what exactly it is. There's, you know, there's thoughts that, um, you know, when there's a good economy, then AmeriCorps service recruitment is down. But, you know, I just think it's a, it, it's a, it's just a different time. But I did mention that um, for students who are going through uh, university or afterwards, a, a year of service gives them also gives them the theory that they learn in school, and then the actual experience of of going through and and building a, a community, building a um, community engagement for students, and building days of service, and then when they go into either job interviews or um, graduate programs, they're able to speak to the experience that they have, uh, or, you know, that they had during their service year. So, and, and for all things, because, you know, I, I mentioned this every time on the podcast is that like, I was 30 something when I was, I did my service year, but I was able to lift up the things that I did during my service year to carry me along. And I had more things, I had more things to talk about, right? Like, Sure, I had a daycare and I raised kids and I was a substitute teacher and I could figure anything out. But at this point, I didn't have anything like super tangible that I could speak to program development, project development, you know, implementation. Like I didn't even know that was a word, I don't think, until after my service year. And I, I there's so, so much to be said about that, right? Because you, it is only a year, but the amount of impact that you have in a year, because AmeriCorps program is set up because it's government funded, right? So like the, the, the data that you have to compile and improve, you know, to make sure that you're checking all of the boxes, mm-hmm. that in us in itself was empowering to me because I was like, you know, at the end of your year, you get all of those reports back and they send like, here's your impact statement. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I just remember being so shocked at myself because <laughs> I reported all of that stuff, but yeah, all together in one like big package, I was like, wow. Um, so even though it might've been annoying at the time to like fill out those weekly reports, it was really, really empowering to see the impact at the end of the year for sure. Yeah. And that, and that, that speaks to so many things. I have a a son who's in his, his early twenties right now. And I was just having a conversation with him and he's like, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't feel like I've done anything over the, and it's funny. I should have like been like, well, let's track your data. Like what what have you been doing? How many, (laughs) you know? Um, So for those people who are watching that, um, you know, I have all the streams of service up here and Vista's over there. Um, Could you speak to what Vista is? is, um, if you remember, um, and uh, like what the program is and how it's different from the other ones? So for my, and this also could have changed, like it's been a decade, you know, since, yeah. uh, but I remember like the Vista and I, Volunteers in Service to America is like, yes. The, oh, good. I remember that right. Yay. Yes. <laughs> um, that's the um, acronym. But I also remember like, Vista being like the programs that a Vista has is different than a program that like 
in triple C or like state national has. And Vista, like this particular Vista program was also directly connected to Campus Compact, Mm. which is another like, you know, you're nodding. I love Campus Compact. Like one of these days, maybe I'll work. I work for them. Oh, I I just adore everything about what they do. Um, And again, that was an entry point into like my higher ed experience was with Campus Compact and they do Mm -hmm. such amazing stuff. But I think from, from my perspective, like I was attracted to the Vista situation because one, I was moving away from home for the first time. Like I'm from Mm -hmm. Louisville. I went to school in Louisville. Um, So I wanted to like have my own space. So like I rented an apartment and things like that. And like some in triple C, I think is very like community-based living. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. They travel around together as a team. Yeah. So I also wanted to be like in one spot. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be like very like program specific, which I think is more of a Vista thing than like that project management tools that like state national and triple C does like very like hands-on active um, because they do move around a lot. And I also had like some physical limitations and I knew like this, I I was kind of doing the process of elimination of like, eh, this isn't going to work. But Vista was like the right program fit for me because of all of those things. Yeah. And I, I, it's my understanding that Vista focuses on alleviating poverty, Mm -hmm. um, and focuses, uh, focused on alleviating poverty and homelessness and, and hunger. Um, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, it's kind of, it's very cool. And there's some, actually some different perks that you get as an AmeriCorps Vista with the education award. Um, yep. because like state and national, I, I got the education award, but I could only use it for institutions. Is it my understanding that Vista, you can actually cash it out? You could. And so the, the difference was pretty significant. Like it was like, a like we're talking like the cash award was like, I'm making this up. Cause I literally have, I do not remember, but it was like maybe $1,500 or something. Yeah. But the, like the education award was like significantly more than that. I would say like maybe five or 6,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, that's how I paid off. Like I took out some student loans um, when I was in undergrad to like pay for a summer class. Cause I couldn't pass statistics during the year. <laughs> uh, enter my GPA being a disaster, but I also like lived on campus for a semester just to experience it. Cause I was a commuter student. Um, mm-hmm. and that my AmeriCorps educational award paid for that loan. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, I don't know, like, and I don't know, like maybe if I hadn't have, I could have also paid, like used that to pay for part of graduate school, but I was like, mm-hmm. I still got this loan over here. I want to get rid of like, yeah. Yeah. It, it provides so many different options. I know uh, when I was a director of an AmeriCorps program, Volunteer Maryland, um, we had AmeriCorps alums that used it so creatively, create creatively. Um, one woman went to Alaska and kayaked and did like an educate. It was an outward bound program. Um, and then I, I don't, this was not a lucid dream. I think it was real, but I think somebody went to culinary school in Italy and it paid for, paid for that as well. So it, it can be, people can use it in all different ways. I used it as a drop in the bucket for my student loans, which for those of you who don't know about public loan forgiveness, um, was that called, what is it called? Public, public, public. I think, I, I think that's right. 
Yeah, public loan forgiveness. I because yeah. I've been working in nonprofits ever since my AmeriCorps years. So or government oh. and nonprofits. So anyways, um that's the nuts and bolts. So the the folks out there who um, might be thinking about serving, because I don't know how to make this just a closed group. This is out to the public. So people are like, Amara, what? <laughs> what is this nonsense? We will educate you on all yes. the things. <laughs> yes. So after your service year, um, you got into grad school because of AmeriCorps, or at least that's your perspective. And like, what next? Where, where did you how did you land where you are now? Because I think what you're doing now is pretty significant and very, very cool. Thank you. So I, so yeah, I went to grad school, got my master's in college student development. Um, when I graduated from um, App State, North Carolina, I moved to Denver and um, I was working, it's funny, you mentioned the culinary thing. I was working at a culinary school in their student engagement office. And so doing, I was an assistant director of student activities. And so, and again, that university was like, we want to build a community service program. And I was like, great, done. I did, I did that in AmeriCorps. Yeah. Again, get like, my big binder down. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like it, like it was, it was literally like copy and paste. Like it, and it, you know, I don't know if AmeriCorps was, was why I got the job here or not. I couldn't tell you, but I can almost guarantee that it was a very big help based on it just being an additional experience. Um, so I did, I built the program here. Um, same thing. Um, we did like an MLK day of service. Um, we called it MLK challenge. So I copied that program from my grad program and brought it here. We did an April like community day of service, same concept. And then I actually also launched like an alternative service program as well, which is kind of funny because we did it with Habitat for Humanities, like collegiate challenge which is run by AmeriCorps people. So like, <laughs> I mean, like there was yes. a lot of like, you know, crossover happening. I was yeah. like, it, it just you know, full circles were happening all over the place. Yeah. Um, and I, I grew up volunteering, right. I grew up volunteering. I, you know, whether it was like with school or my family on the weekends, that kind of thing. And then even in college, like I was very involved in um, Relay for Life with the American Cancer Society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, I met, you know, my orientation leader was a cancer survivor and like he changed my whole outlook on life. And, you know, we're, we're still friends to this day. Um, and then, gosh, I think like, after I, I, I started volunteering out here in Denver as a Relay for Life volunteer in a community-led event, and then I, I started working for the American Cancer Society, and then, you know, I figured out, like, okay, I really love the community engagement part, but I'm not, like, I hated fundraising. I hated the mm. logistical stuff. I was like, I don't care about tents, tables, and chairs, and porta-potties, like, or permitting, like, that was not my strong suit. I mm-hmm. liked the relationship management mm-hmm. part of working with volunteers, like American Cancer Society's um, relay model is very like volunteer driven, staff supported. Mm. And which is a fine, like, it's fine. It's a, it's a good model. Um, but I think, you know, things are changing in the world. And so yeah. after I left that job, cause I was like, I can't do all three of these things really well. I want to just focus on the volunteer piece of it. 
And I'll be honest, I did not think that existed. <laughs> I, I truly was like, if you work for a nonprofit, you're going to fundraise. Yeah. And I just thought that that was the thing because in, in all of my volunteer experience, all of it's been like very directly related to like to fundraising. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't realize that there was a space just for volunteer engagement. Mm-hmm. And so now I work at the National MS Society and that is my work is volunteer engagement. And so it's very, very specific to exactly what it sounds like, like engaging volunteers in our mission and whether or not that most of the time it's not like money impacting. Like if a volunteer wants to donate, they're welcome to, if they want to fundraise, they're welcome to, but that's not our job as volunteer engagement professionals. We can connect those dots, Mm -hmm. but our role is really like, how do you want to move our movement forward in the world of MS? Um, Because we, this just came out yesterday, um, the peer-to-peer forum, which is like the the fundraising kind of arm that does all this research. Mm -hmm. In 2022, so, so we know that there are 1 million people living with MS. If you think about that, like that's not a ton, right? And mm-hmm. that's, the, that's just what we know. And that right. came out a couple of years ago and people were like, wow, because before that we didn't have, we didn't know there was that many, but when and MS about, multiple sclerosis, right? Multiple sclerosis, okay. yeah. So when you think about that number, you think about the people that are impacted by cancer Mm. or diabetes or, um, heart disease, or I I don't know, I could go on and on that 1 million is like pretty small, right? Mm -hmm. Our walk MS and bike MS, um, signature series events are in the top 10 of that peer to peer forum, which is for, for like fundraising, right? Okay. Which is, which is pretty cool. And in addition to that, we engage like 50, about probably about 50,000 volunteers a year. Wow. And, and that's, that's pretty all inclusive of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And though that 50,000 people, like that's not a ton, but right. the amount of work that we accomplish with, I don't know, it's, it's, it's all relative, right. Of like how big an organization is and how many people really, you know, cause like professional like staff wise, we probably have mm-hmm. about 800 employees. Don't quote me on that, but like that's nationwide. That's nationwide. And mm-hmm. so the impact that we're having as a, what I consider as a pretty small national organization with mm-hmm. the volunteer pool that is making the impact in the communities that we maybe not, don't have a necessarily like footprint in mm-hmm. is pretty impactful and, and like big. Yeah. It brings me back to my AmeriCorps days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the multiplier effect, right? Like when we were at volunteer, when I was serving at Volunteer Maryland, it was great. I I served there, and then like I think it was like eight years later, I was director of the program, so I went right to my HR files, and I'm like, oh, I was a terrible, I was a terrible AmeriCorps member. <laughs> That's not true, AmeriCorps. I was a great AmeriCorps member. <laughs> You're um, like. False information. Yeah, false information. Um, But that's one of the models that they taught us was um, the multiplier effect, right? Like one AmeriCorps member builds out a volunteer program, and then that volunteer program just multiplies upon itself. And it's it's that catalyst that volunteers provide. And when we chatted um, 
a, a couple weeks ago, you had mentioned that the volunteer program is actually housed in the HR department. And we are both like how important that is. You want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think so. And that's not, I don't necessarily, anytime I say that to someone, they're like, oh, what? And then yeah. it's like, ping, it makes total sense. Because yeah. at the end of the day, people that manage volunteers, they're people managers. What do you think mm-hmm. HR does? They're human resources and it helps with our risk management too. So like, if you need to, like, this doesn't happen often, but it does happen. If you need to fire a volunteer, we yeah. have the support of our human resources department on how to have difficult conversations. If you like, you know, there's a lot of risk associated with volunteering. Right. And so like, if someone gets hurt, they have an entire, like, they're backed and covered by our insurance, first of all, because, you know, they're volunteer and they sign that consent form, but they're backed by our HR department and they're mm-hmm. backed by like our community. You know, it's, it's, it just helps keep us, I want, I kind of want to say humble in a way of yeah. like to treat them a little bit higher level of like, you know, cause there, there's this vibe in the, in the universe. And and you hear volunteers say this a lot. Well, I'm just a volunteer. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're, there is no just about being a volunteer. You are a volunteer and you make our events possible. You make the work that we do better and more engaging and powerful. Like, so there's, there's that perspective too, of like, when you are covered by our insurance, we're treating you mm-hmm. I mean, like everyone does that. Like most nonprofits are like, yeah, if a volunteer gets hurt on the job, like, or while, while they're volunteering, like, yes, you're covered on it, you know? So it's just, yeah. it gives us that confidence to like level up on our volunteer experience. Well, I think as a volunteer coordinator, then you're not being bogged down with the policies and procedures because they're already in place and somebody else's is already doing them. And you're like, this is just the policies and procedures, but you're more focused on getting the people where they need to be and engaged and, and all of that stuff. So I thought, I just think that that is important for some people that are watching this, that might be part of nonprofits and they might be doing new strategic plan or something, you know, um, considering moving the volunteer coordination under HR and not like not making the volunteer quarter coordinator HR. Like let's not do that. Right. right? right. <laughs> and like, that's the, I mean, and we call ourselves in the event world at the national MS society, the three-legged stool, because there's, you know, that volunteer engagement person recruiting volunteers for events. There's also the event production team who's doing that permitting porta potties, tables, chairs, that kind of stuff that I was like, this is not my forte. Then there's a third leg of that stool that is doing that fundraising and development piece. It doesn't mean that there isn't crossover with that, right? right? That your top fundraisers family may not want to ride a, at a bike event, but they're, they're going to run a rest stop as a volunteer group. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so there's, I don't know. Cause, and that's, we weren't always organized like that either. Like that's pretty, I say new, I'd say within the last like six or seven years, that how mm-hmm. we've been organized that way. But it truly is a full-time job to, to recruit, train mm-hmm. and execute volunteer engagement. It really is. And so in these, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter how big your nonprofit is either. If you are a small, tiny nonprofit in one community, you still need a volunteer coordinator. 
Mm-hmm. You do, you just do. And whether, and that, and that is their only job. They're not in yeah. charge of marketing. They're not in charge of logistics. They're, they're truly in charge of volunteer coordination so that they can focus on building that and making it the best program it can be in whatever that looks like for your organization, but it really should be its own entity. And that also speaks to retention. Cause if you're, if you're paying attention to the volunteers and you're giving them the attention that they need and the support that they need, then they're going to want to stick around. I mean, I, you know, I've done volunteer coordination for over a decade and, you know, I've, seen events where the Amer- the AmeriCorps members, the volunteers are standing around and they, I've been to those events where I'm like, what are we doing? And I, I'm like, this is a huge waste of my time. Like, I don't want to be here. Um, right. So whenever I was doing volunteer coordination, I always ensured that like, if, if somebody didn't have something to do, I'd find something for them to do, you know, and make sure that everything was. And I remember I did this one thing. I did a race. It was for rec deeds, uh, Good deeds for rec deeds. I can't remember the organization, but anyways, um, I had a bunch of students, uh, like high school students, and I was trying to build my Instagram page at the time. And so I told them where to go on the course. And I said, as soon as you get there, make sure you have like where you're supposed to be and then shoot, take a picture of yourself. And so once they started doing that to make, I wanted to make sure they were in the right spot. And then I used those pictures on Instagram to be like, Hey, John from Saverta Park High School is here volunteering and to try to get um, people to start following the Instagram. So, you know, I couldn't do that if I had to figure out like where the finish line was, or do we have all the drinks? You know, I was really focused on the people. So, um, so you had mentioned that you have some events coming up soon. Um, just kind of thinking about like where, um, I don't know what you're, what you're up to right now. And if there's anything that like people might be interested in getting involved with. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, like I said, we are a nationwide organization and any, our website is, you know, nationalmssociety.org. There is what I value the most about this organization is we very much find the right fit for our volunteers and figure and plug them in where it makes sense for them. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you, it doesn't have to be events. Maybe you hate events and that's not your jam. Fine. We have other things that you can engage in. Um, those uh-huh. that is the primary like entry point for volunteers is like volunteering at an event for a few hours. But then like, then there's like that, just like in a career, there's a volunteer journey that mm-hmm. you go through like you you know you come to an event I said this to a staff member yesterday that was talking about we were talking about like volunteer committees and I was like our events even if you show up alone most people don't volunteer alone but if you do show up alone you're not leaving alone because you have made a connection whether it's with another volunteer with a staff member with a participant like you have made a connection and you'll either take that connection and go have coffee. I've literally had events that like multiple people like show up and they're in the same spot, but they didn't know each other before. Uh-huh. And they'll, they'll leave and like go to lunch together. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know That's what cool. it is. There is a vibe at our events that really create that community feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that truly has something to do with like, there's 1 million people in the, in the country that we know of that are living with MS. Like, 
that's a lot, but at the same time, it's not a lot. And so Mm -hmm. that our MS community is like small, but mighty and incredibly Mm -hmm. impactful. Um, so events are definitely a way to engage, but we also have, you know, I mean, board members, like if someone's like, I really want to come in with an elevated experience and, and I have a ton of experience and I have a really strong connection to MS board members are always something that we look for. There's also like committees, like I said, um, that we're looking with, we just launched a new program. It's called our MS ambassador program. And essentially it's kind of, it's kind of a choose your own adventure. So if you live somewhere and you're like, no one in my community knows anything about MS and we don't even have a neurologist that specializes in MS, you're that person that tells, that can help us tell your community and educate your community on, on, on the movement. Um, not to say that it's like the sole responsibility of a volunteer, but it helps mm-hmm. us get the word out right, and, and educate people about the disease because it's, it's also just not like, it's not, it, it, it treat it, it impacts and affects everyone very, very differently. Some people it's like very disabling and like they can never walk again. Other people, they do infusions like two times a year and they live what they consider a normal life. It's mm-hmm. like very, it's very unique in that way. Yeah. Unfortunately. Like, yeah. So. Well, those are great opportunities for people to think about um, supporting and I'll drop the uh, website into the description um, when I edit this beautiful video. Um, so circling back around to AmeriCorps, just to kind of reflect back on that and and just wrap things up with the last few questions. Um, I should have prepped you for this. So you had a real good story ready. But <laughs> did anything happen during your service year that was just like extraordinarily wild or like, oh, my gosh, I can't even believe or I, I didn't even know how I was going to get out of this situation or or, or something along the line, or along those lines that uh, is not against the um, prohibited activities. <laughs> uh, right. I think, you know, that whole year, and I, I probably could sit here and, and, and tell you 10 stories, you know what I mean? Because yeah, that whole year, first of all, is the first time I had ever lived away from home. And I decided to go from Kentucky all the way to Maine. Don't ask, don't know. So crazy. Uh, couldn't tell you. Just that's where I landed. And I was open when I was searching for programs. Um, so I think it taught me, and I, I lived with a roommate my first, like, I don't know, six months that I was there. And then, um, you know, we, we, I moved out like in for like the second half of my year. Cause I was like, okay, like feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to move. Cause I feel more confident. I'm going to try mm-hmm. living on my own for a while. Like see, see how that feels. Um, and I've, I've, I've lived alone ever since, by the way, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I really think while it's not like a specific story that year taught me so much about myself and truly where I think I found my independence mm-hmm. as a single female, um, because I, I am, I'm single. I don't have children. I, you know, I have plenty, I have tons of friends that have kids and are married and whatnot, but, um, I, I feel very comfortable living in like this single life solo space. Mm-hmm. Don't think that's as common as people think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and, and read a lot of books about, you know, living the solo life, traveling solo and how to be safe about it. And, 
And if I hadn't, if I hadn't had the experience that I had with AmeriCorps, I would never be in this boat. That's so cool. That's a really strong reflection. You know, it gives you that independence. For me, it it gave me confidence. That's the one thing that I can definitely say is like, it gave me my confidence in the ability to figure out how to get things done. I know it's cliche. And I think I say that every single podcast, but that it's true. It's a great slogan. That's why it hasn't changed because that's essentially what we're doing. And so, you know, you mentioning that AmeriCorps gave you the confidence to be independent. Like that's, that's so powerful. Um, so something like I had mentioned at the beginning, there's a million of us who have gone through the service year. I'll double check and fact check about the astronaut and I'll make sure I get that right. Um, and hopefully it is correct and then we'll get their name and we'll get them on. But, um, so I think this, we've all had, everyone that's gone through AmeriCorps has had a similar, but different experience, but we've all gone through national service. We've had ups and downs. We've made friends. We've, you know, made enemies. We've discovered things that we definitely don't want um, and learned to be able to thrive in environments, you know, hard, whatever. Um, So I really think just the way that things are kind of going right now across our country where people are just not really even engaging or talking to anybody, we have that shared experience, but we may have different views, different uh, vocations, living in different areas. I'm assuming that's the Colorado Rockies behind you. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah. Um, If I had this screen off, it would be like my wall and I'm in Maryland. And so, you know, very different landscape. (laughs) But what would you like kind of hope for um, where these conversations can go and where this community of AmeriCorps alums could come together, a bridge or a message or something that maybe you could think that we could bring this forward? I think I always joke because in Louisville, if you meet someone else from Louisville, um, you you ask them two questions. Where did you go to high school? And depending on the answer to that question, depends on if you ask them the second question, which is, are you a Louisville or are you a Kentucky fan? Uh-huh. And depending on that answer is whether or not you continue conversing or you like go your separate ways. I'm like, it's nice to meet you. Have a good life. I think a similar thing applies when you say, oh, you're an AmeriCorps alum. Tell me more about your service here. That open, it immediately opens Mm -hmm. so many doors because you already have that one thing in common. And then what happens is like, because they're again, same thing. There's only a million of us, whether or not we like, that's a lot, but it's also a very small community some, there is going to be like, you are, you are ingrained and connected, whether you like it or not. (laughs) And it opens, it can open so many doors for you, Mm -hmm. whether it's helping a college student figure out, oh, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I have a really, like, you can say, well, I I met this AmeriCorps alum and like, they're doing X, Y, Z, like, would you be interested in learning about what that means and what that is? Or whether it's like a volunteer that you come across, it doesn't matter. Like the, the Mm -hmm. connections, I think that we innately have, especially with the tools that we have nowadays, like what, how do we even connect with each other before like LinkedIn? Like, no, you know what I mean? So like utilizing the tools that we have, which is for me, like that, LinkedIn group is, you know, I, I see posts there frequently of like, here's a job opportunity yes. here's this happening. Here's this happening, but also just being like 
open to conversation. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that like you and I, so like we're recording this podcast right now, we might not speak again for another six months, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that like, Nikki, I'm not going to come to you in three months and be like, Hey, it's been a while. How's life? How's it going? Mm-hmm. Like, and we're, we're forever connected and we might not, you know, we're not going to talk on a weekly basis, but we're, we have a network together mm-hmm. And so if you come across somebody that's like, I really want to get into nonprofit work and I hate fundraising, you're going to flag and be like, well, Brittany, it's doing work that isn't fundraising. You know what I mean? And like, Mm -hmm. I think as long as we're open to connection, regardless of what it is, and, and I never need, like anytime someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn, I'm always like, how can I help you? How can I support Mm -hmm. you? Keeping that as an open door because you have no idea when someone's going to reach out and be like, Hey, like I, I, we connected two years ago, but I remember this and this and this, when we met, like, can you help me? Mm -hmm. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. And so like just being open to making a connection and whether it's a podcast or just a simple conversation, like just do it. Cause I don't regret it. Yeah. And something that you and I chatted about and we didn't bring it up, but I'm bringing it up now is networking at a different level, right? Like that's kind of what this is because now, you know, I am sure you have plenty of contacts in Maryland, but now you have another contact that has a lot of contacts, you know, and now I know somebody in Colorado who, you know, just the other day for my job, I was working with a student who was graduating in May and she wants to move back out to Seattle. Well, I have a national network of commissioners that I worked with who are executive directors. So I reached out to the executive director of the Washington Commission and I was like, hey, you know, there's a student who's blah, blah, blah. Could you like maybe have a conversation with her and here's her resume? Like if we continue having these conversations, we are going to we're going to be able to go to any state or probably city and be like, oh, you know, Brittany's here. Yesterday I was talking to Kate. Morton, she's down in New Me- Albuquerque, New Mexico, you know, like Peter from, I think he was in Philadelphia. So um, I love that idea. Just stay open and have conversations and just do it and start networking at a different level. Yeah. That's elevating you know, it's finest right there. <laughs> elevating network, elevated networking. Yeah. Well, this was awesome, Brittany. Um, I know it's like the middle of your workday. So I really appreciate you like just stepping out and, and doing this. Um, any last words or any anything that you want to leave the folks with? We live in a very different world nowadays, and there's a lot of, you know, conversations about work-life balance and do this and don't do that. And there's a lot of guidance. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things, um, whether it's career or, you know, they're joining protests or running for mayor. Like, I don't know, I'm making stuff up. The biggest thing that I can, like the biggest piece of advice that I have as we continue to go through a little, a little and a lot of chaos, be kind. Mm. That's it. Be kind. That's great. That's a perfect way to end. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll have another one of these coming up shortly when I can wrangle another AmeriCorps alum in here with me. So thanks so much. Thanks, Nikki.